Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and Andrew, to this episode of Man Buns and Jesus. This is season three. I know for a fact a guy named Andrew listens, and, you know, we'll call it a shout-out, even though it was meant more disrespectfully than that. Anyway, this is season three, episode five, and we are so glad that you have stuck with us this long. Um, I am one of your hosts, probably the more unfortunate of your hosts, Josh Laborious, here in Eastvale, California at Edgewater Lutheran Church, and the other one of the other voices on the episode with us today or tonight, whenever you're listening to this, is Pastor Ben Olschlager, the Reverend Ben Olschlager, first of his name. What are we do, What are we doing today, Ben? Was I supposed to read the Bible passage too? Did I say I was going to do that? You did say you were going to do that. Uh, I'll read the Bible passage we're going to look at today, ladies and gentlemen. Can you tell I've had exactly two sips of coffee this morning? Um, today we're looking at First uh, Corinthians 5, and Paul writes this. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges the outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Good stuff. Heavy stuff. Yeah. So for a heavy topic, uh, we wanted to call in a voice of wisdom. And I just happened to have one of those lying around. Um, <laughs> uses the term lightly. <laughs> anyway, um, joining us today on the podcast, uh, I am. I feel very, very privileged to have today uh, a member of the congregation, but also uh, something of a mentor and uh, an impact, a strong impact on my life, either directly or indirectly. Uh, the Reverend Wayne Wenzel, uh, he's uh, got a wealth of experience, has served three parishes here in, in the state of Michigan, uh, full-time, 
and that's not even counting interim, which is what another two or three. Yeah, three or four, I can. <laughs> yeah. Some number <laughs> on top of that. Um, and then has also uh, done some things at district level, which has given him an opportunity to see a lot of churches in a lot of different contexts, um, including churches struggling with issues around sexual immorality. Um, and so I wanted to bring him in today, uh, Josh and I wanted to bring him in today to talk about what kind of an impact that has on churches and what we ought to do to remedy that. Um, so Wayne, <laughs> this is where we toss it to you. <laughs> well, it depends on who it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously, we've dealt with situations where it was the pastor. Mm. And uh, part of when we're dealing with it in a disciplinary manner or something that may lead up to that, um, the first thing you have to do is determine the, the situation and what are the, if he's being accused by people of the congregation, I, I remember one specific incident um there had to be some research done as to the extent of his quote unquote infidelity was it just to coin a phrase all the way <laughs> or was it uh just improper behavior mm -hmm. and um in some cases it didn't matter to the people of the congregation um if they wanted to get rid of him it was bad no matter what mm -hmm. Um, and if they really liked their pastor, they were very willing to go the extra mile with him and make sure that the behavior was over the line. Mm -hmm. The district has very clear lines on on that adultery, and you're out. Mm -hmm. I mean, essentially. Um, in terms of lay people, I remember one situation where um, I visited a man who was literally had his best friend's wife living with him. They were both married to someone else. And uh, his contention was Jesus died for my sins. And I don't have to change. Well, we had a little conversation about that. <laughs> but they ended up divorcing their respective mates and the two of them did marry and later he was an elder in the church after i was well gone i refused to do their wedding when they when they broke up and decided to you know mm -hmm. legalize it i just said i can't do it because i had too much history but this this situation that paul talks about you know i i keep thinking the the man must have uh his father must have remarried it doesn't say that it was his mother, right? Mm -hmm. And again, is his father still living? I mean, there's Levitical law, to my knowledge, involved in this, which Paul most certainly must have been aware of. Um, but let's say, for example, that they're both single at this point. Uh, is it still a moral issue? I, I was thinking about that on the way here. And the, this morning when I read through it again, I said, well, is that uh, cultural from the Jewish standpoint? Or what would we do today if, if you were in a situation like that where you're, you know, and you were both single and 
there was no divorce involved. Mm -hmm. I, I think again, it, that's a troubling, a bit of a troubling passage from from that. I think, and who is he more angry with? The people who are letting it go, or the people who are doing it? You know, it seems like he's pretty ticked off about the whole affair. But I, I, I think it's probably pretty obvious that that the father or the woman were still living, or both of them were still living, and it, it was definitely an adulterous situation. And that's a that's a call. Um, I've had situations where, how do you define adultery? Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's some infidelity involved, but it's not all the way, so mm. to speak. And and the church has some. In other words, does it have to be a physical? Does it have to be? Well, it can even be physical, but does it, is it physical to the point of intercourse? Mm. You know. Yeah. Right. Um, that. Um, you know, we've had situations, as I said, with pastors who had, you know, loving relationships and hugging relationships that some people felt was inappropriate. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't know. I, you just have to pray and use a lot of patience and, and don't be afraid to you know, I always got the district president involved <laughs> if I if I could. Um, somebody who can actually evaluate and make a decision, um, which when it especially when it involves clergy, when it involves your local membership, then if you're in a small parish, you've got it's somebody's nephew or niece or I um, I don't miss that. <laughs> I don't know. Is that sufficient for the time being? I mean, that's, yeah, that's a great place for us to jump off of. And Josh, you don't have anything you want to pitch in here? Otherwise, I got to. Yeah. So, and I, part of the reason I say this is because I know we have some aspiring pastors who listen to this podcast on a fairly regular basis. Um, I think when you are in a position like we are in, If you're if you're like considering something in front of you, this isn't like judging something that's already happened. This is you are considering something in front of you. Um, don't play this game of, well, is it like be as safe as like, uh, for instance, I, I don't really I don't do dinners with uh, female members of the congregation without my wife. Because even though like there is no intention there for anything, um, the optics of that could be bad. So and you know my my wife is part of my ministry and dinner is is always nice. So we say uh, the the introduction is also can Chris and I take you guys to dinner? Can so um, and I know in my vicarage congregation the policy was if you were doing counseling as a pastor with a woman by herself. You didn't do it in your office, you did it in the conference room, which had blinds, so that, and the door stayed unlocked. Because it was in a, in a, it still gave you privacy, but it was a, a little more public, and like nothing was gonna happen in that room uh, without someone taking notice. Um, so I think like when you're in a position of pastor or leader in the church, it's not just the technicalities that matter. I think it's the optics that matter. 
Because even if nothing happens, if everyone in your congregation thinks you did something inappropriate, that's really going to make it hard for you to lead them. Um, that's kind of. And I was in a, you reminded me of, I was in a parish that uh, they had an annual dance. And the first year I was there, uh, I got asked to dance by other, by another woman and my wife did. And we were both very uncomfortable with it. And so from that point on, we just made it very clear. We don't dance with anybody else. Um, and, you know, when you're new in a congregation and you think, oh, gee, I don't want us to look like a whatever. Curmudgeon. Curmudgeon. Yeah. <laughs> but I, that's you're, my you're, whole image. <laughs> yeah, but your point is well taken that, uh, you know, I did on occasionally would have lunch with a board member who happened to be a woman, but we did it very open, openly. I mean, there was no sneaking off to some quiet place. We were out where everybody could see us. And Well, and I feel ooh. like lunch is frequent enough that like people do business lunches and that's, yeah. That, and that's like, what it was. If I was interested in, in like, I, I didn't ask my wife, Hey, would you like to go to lunch with me? That wasn't the move. Um, dinner, I think is where you start getting like, so like, uh, several months ago, I, I go through my congregation just once a week and I, I grab someone off the roster and I just say, Hey, can we get coffee or drinks or like, can we just meet this week and, and catch me up on your life? So I keep those relationships. And the next person on my list was one of our young adults who's not too much younger than me. And she's single. Well, she was single at the time. And I was, as I was getting ready to invite her, I'm like, yeah, this has to be one of those ones where Chris comes along. Um, Absolutely. Although, to your point, dancing with the congregation, I have never danced with my wife. Is that because so you, you stink at dancing or she's embarrassed of you? So that's a fun fact for everyone. No, neither of us has any interest in dancing. Like there was okay. not a dance at our wedding. There's. <laughs> well, we particularly didn't either. In fact, I would not allow dancing at my wedding. I went to Seward in the days when there you didn't dance. <laughs> um, but it but it was just the situation that we there were certain sentimental pieces that meant something to my wife and me, and if they came up, we'd dance. But um, no, as a rule, we didn't. We drank wine. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have fun over there. We're just gonna we're just gonna sit here. This is, for anyone watching the video, this is coffee, not wine. It's only ten a.m. here. As far as I know, that was still okay, <laughs> and still is okay. But I, I think I think caution is the is the be best way to go. I I remember a, a pastor in my home church many many years ago who was sort of an avant-garde kind of guy. And he would brag about the fact that his wife was on the edge before he met her, you know? And and I can remember that they talked about a, a, a dance, a wedding dance or something, and she was going crazy with this member of the congregation uh, dancing. And he didn't care. And that was... I just think people have an expectation of us that we have to maintain 
or we lose it when it really matters mm -hmm. you know you it's not it's not difficult for our profession to lose its credibility and i oftentimes say if the, I, I think i alluded to it if the congregation likes you you can get by with it you can make more mistakes if they don't like you you can't make many mistakes i mean it, well, it's and i think it, all this I, applies i mean paul is saying it applies just to to christians right because right? people outside the church are looking at you no matter who you are in the church and they're saying oh that's how christians act mm -hmm. that's what they're okay with yeah I mean, that's the reality of what you see in the world, too, right? Like, <clears throat> so much of culture and society these days is, like, still kind of wrapped up in the sexual revolution and how much of, like, people's personality and life is just circling around, uh, who am I going to sleep with next, right? But when it comes to the church, if a pastor has an affair, or uh, occasionally you'll see stories of them getting caught in like uh, prostitution stings or um, there's the whole thing with Jerry Falwell. Uh, Jimmy Swagger. The Hulu special? What? Yeah, the Hulu, the Hulu special. special. If you don't know what we're talking about, you can look it up on your own. We don't need to get into depth on that. And you um, don't have to look it up either. It's it's it's, it's fine. pretty bad. Yeah, um, it's something that would even make the pagans uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> anyway. I see what you did there. Hey, um, but my point being, they generally kind of know our standard. They know we're supposed to be about this. Like, you're a man who takes one wife, and that is your relationship. Um, and you're not supposed to have sex until you're married. Um, so if you break your own rules, we're really going to make sure you know that we know that you've done that. Um, and I'm guessing that Paul's kind of experiencing some of that as he's writing here to the Corinthians. The, there's a particularly unsettling accusation against these Corinthian Christians. And I'm sure all of Corinth knows about it. So now that's, the spotlight is on them. That's the thing. They get. He, he says, for anyone who doesn't know, like, the Greeks were pretty comfortable with a lot of stuff. So the fact that he says, like, this is a sexual immorality that's not tolerated among the pagans. Yeah. That's what leads me to believe. I'm like, how far is this guy crossing the line? Yeah, this that I thought about that, too. Because Corinthian was a synonym for wickedness. I mean, I was I've been studying Corinthians in our Bible class on Wednesdays. And if you were called a Corinthian, that wasn't good. <laughs> you know, and another thing we were talking about, you know, their their Acropolis where they had a thousand temple babes, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> that would come down at night. And and I I was in Corinth interestingly enough when uh, on a tour with Paul Meyer, and uh, the guide told us something interesting that why Paul uh, required the women to keep their heads covered 
is because the prostitutes that came down from the Acropolis had their heads shaved. And if they became Christian, they would not stand out if all of the women had to have their head covered. And he was doing it to, to spare them shame while their hair grew back. Mm. And I, I don't know whether that's true or not, but it was kind sense. of it, it was kind of uh neat. And I I I thought, well, Paul had some compassion for a fallen woman who turned to Christ. Mm -hmm. And isn't that a good way to deal with this? Like when he says, I've often wondered, what does it mean to turn the guy over to Satan so that his soul might be saved in the end? Satan isn't in the business of wanting <laughs> to do that. But it seems to me that what he's saying is that you you move him out and hopefully he'll realize the severity of what he has done and long to come back into the fellowship and and thus save his soul that's a that that's that was a intriguing i mean i've read it obviously quite a few times before but thinking about that again um you go up to somebody who's sinning or committing adultery say i better let the devil have you for a while because <laughs> i want you back <laughs> and the devil may not want to get you but give him back for her back to you yeah. You know, again, it's what was Paul, what was the context in which he mm -hmm. say, says these things? You, I, I was reading a commentator on it, and they don't really know. I mean, I think that's probably the best is if if you if you turn your back, people say, well, judge not. But the Bible never says not to judge sin. It says to not judge motives when you aren't sure what those motives are. But if if it's if it's wrong and you know somebody is doing it wrong and you don't say it's wrong, what does Ezekiel say? <laughs> Something about warn the man. Yeah. Well, and I think the the like the famous passage that's the the judge not lest ye be judged. I think if you read that in context, that's a don't be a hypocrite kind of thing. I think you're, yeah, I believe that. That's kind of what I was <clears throat> alluding to, but yeah. Well, exactly. I think this is more of the same, right? It's Paul saying we're teaching a different kind of life. And if everybody like, hears that teaching but sees this going on, they're going to say, oh, those Christians are full of crap. Yeah. Um. They have and maybe a more moderate that. example today, Looking like if you're reasons. a Christian and then you're a total jerk, no matter what, like people are going to see, oh, you, you preach this compassion and love, but you don't show it at all. You're full of it. Yep. And when, do, when does uh, compassion overrule the law? You know, if the law is clearly violated, I, I've. That's that's uh, can be a pastoral dilemma. Mm -hmm. Well, I think compassion brings the law. Well, you're right. I love you, so I'm going to tell you like God has a better plan for you. Yeah, that's that's certainly good. I I Thanks remember pretending to be wise. We had a case where a pastor was getting a divorce, and you know the synod's position on that. And then we had to determine whether it was his fault or her fault. 
and whether he wanted and sought reconciliation. Um, and in the end, you just take his word for it and said, said, yeah, I tried to reconcile with her and she didn't want to be reconciled. And then you let have to let it go. You know, I mean, even though he might have been as guilty as sin, <laughs> that's probably part of that. Like when Jesus said, who man, who made you to me judge, who made me to be judge? Is that how it's stated? When somebody asks him, Lord, my brother, who, this and this, and Jesus. Who made me a judge over you? Or he who, made me a judge, yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel that way sometimes. Man. I'd be interested to hear what both of you guys think about, because this is something I've struggled with, and not to call out names, but like, Westboro Baptist Church did a demonstration on Vanderbilt's campus while I was there. It was it was very poorly thought through because they did it at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning on like St. <laughs> Patrick's Day weekend. And I was like, uh, my guys, most of this campus right now is not capable of, of looking into a bright light, much less seeing what you're doing out here. Um, but when I think of stuff like that, these these last couple of verses come to mind. What do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Mm -hmm. And and then the begin it says I not to uh, I wrote in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not meaning the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy swindlers, idolaters, since you'd have to go out of the world. Um, so he seems to be drawing this line between, like, what are we willing to put up with inside the church versus outside the church? And given, how shall we say, uh, our society's flexibility with a lot of this stuff, how much do we speak to society and how much do we focus on discipling the people in front of us? <laughs> You know, that's an interesting thing. You know, years ago, we had a former president who was pretty well caught in adultery. And at what point do you address that, if at all, from the pulpit or in the congregation? Or is that a civil matter that you let the... Um, and I've avoided politics like a plague when it comes to preaching. Um, I just... You know, I've always felt we've had both sides of it, almost every issue in every congregation I've been to. Um, I that I that's you know, where do you don't you don't don't you think people pretty well know? <laughs> do we have to remind them that some politicians are? Well, I think even like if you know someone who's not a Christian, like uh, a friend or, or whatever relationship you want to fabricate, and they're a practicing homosexual, like is your priority to address the homosexuality or is your, pri your priority to get them into church and then go from there to address the sin? That's something I've always kind of, I've gone back and forth on, 
if you had asked me at certain parts of my life, I'd be like, no, you got to deal with that up front. And then at other times in my life, I'm like, no, we can't hold them to our standards until they're in our, how shall we say, group identity. You know, I've modified a little bit on, on that. I would not keep a homosexual person from joining my church because I, my my overwhelming feeling as I've gotten older is where are they going to hear the law and the gospel if you tell them they can't come? If you if you exclude them, um, I, I wasn't that way. I mean, there would have been a time when I would have said absolutely not. But I've gotten more. I just want them to hear that Christ loves them and forgives them, and hopefully His love and forgiveness will will at least keep them abstaining from what they're doing, because they'll they'll find out that it's wrong. They, if they hear the word and let let the spirit do its job um i've gotten a little soft as i've aged um on a lot of things i think so when you ask that question it actually brings to mind a story that you told me about a funeral you did i think if was... you're just listening he pointed to wayne when he was saying you told me <laughs> um <clears throat> I think it was a funeral you did at your last parish. Um, the the prostitute. Yeah. She died in a car accident? No, she was murdered by her pimp. That's right. Um, and at the funeral, you've got this row of young women of the night. We assumed so. Uh, <laughs> they didn't have a red A on them. But, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I love the literary reference. That's a reference to the Scarlet Letter. Those of you who did not get it, become more cultured. Um, hey, if I'm going to give someone a, a classic book to read, that is not the first one on the list. <laughs> well, well, one of them did have a sign said, that, let's hear it for Hester Prynne. She's the one. <laughs> Which, fun fact, I believe uh, in that book, the, the lady that wore the Scarlet Letter, the guy that she had committed infidelity with was the pastor of the little town. I think you're so, right. Yep. Spoiler alert. Yep. Uh, but that book's been out longer than I've been alive. So yep. if you, if I'm not responsible for you. Not Even longer than I've been alive. <laughs> um, anyway, go ahead. So you were telling me this story about uh, this group of young women likely yeah, many maybe of them. three or four not a, not a large group but yeah several. but likely at least some of them engaged in yeah prostitution likely probably probably um and yet i know that you've mentioned that your first reaction on seeing them was not oh my gosh what are they doing here it was cool i have an opportunity exactly um and i think for me, as I engage people outside the church that have these different views on sexuality, um, I mean, they're looking for somewhere to belong. They're looking for the, the feeling of love and acceptance. Um, and oftentimes they're looking for it in a very sexual place. I had a funeral uh, also 
not not at the church, but for a gay man. And his family was members of our church, and they asked me to do the service. And I met his husband after the service. And I talked with his husband. I gave his husband a Bible. Um, I, I encouraged him to, to read through the scriptures and, and discover who Christ is. And um, it was, I, I don't, you know, where, where do you go with it? I mean, mm -hmm. the man was grieving like you would if your wife died. I mean, he was genuinely... Mm -hmm. Um, grieving his his husband had been killed in a tragic accident so it was a very sudden thing i i don't know as, as i said boy you, you nobody at the seminary tells you you're gonna have <laughs> oh by the way this is what you do when a prostitute dies <laughs> this is this is, <laughs> this is what you, they, they they don't um you you have to listen to your heart yeah and and above all i want to see people in heaven and you know like paul says to a jew i become a jew to a greek i become a greek i i mean i never became a, a, a prostitute prostitute or a a pursuer of such but but you weren't an as aspirant I mean, you but you do have to try to say what makes you what you are? Mm -hmm. You're not necessarily an evil, wicked person. You're a sinner, and and you need you need the law and you need the gospel. But but you're not going around murdering people. You're not going. You're, you're not mm -hmm. a. You know. And I think sometimes our definition of of evil is like a rubber band. <laughs> You know, this this lady that was killed by her, she had uh, she had been a, a Christian, and her little baby died of SIDS mm. sudden, and she just went off her rocker, mm. and she left her husband, and she couldn't deal with it, mm. and so all right, and her grandmother was a member of my church, so asked me to do the service. Good luck, guys. <laughs> I mean, as I said, the seminary does not, it's life that teaches you how to deal with what comes up. Mm -hmm. And I'd say always err on this. Is it err or err? Yeah. I've <laughs> heard it both ways. England, yeah. England. <clears throat> always err on the side of, of compassion and love. Because you don't know what they went through to put them into that situation. Mm -hmm. I can't remember if it's in Corinthians or if it's elsewhere. I'm pretty sure it's elsewhere. Where Paul writes to, to always put the best construction on everything. And Luther said that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, Luther did a always do a great job of doing that, though. <laughs> no, he did not. No. Um, he had some nasty words for the Pope, didn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah. Enough yeah. that someone has built a, uh, an a insult Luther insult it. generator. Yeah. <laughs> um, circling way back. Um, 
when we start first started talking about the packet passage, you mentioned a couple of things about the like cultural influences that were at play. Um, and I think that's something that's incredibly important for us to keep in mind is that even though we live in the same place in the same time as the people we're interacting with, the culture that shapes and defines them is wholly different. Um, thinking about the Jewish culture that off or that would have shaped Paul and a lot of the early church, um, they probably look back at, at stories like uh, was it Absalom, David's son, that uh, took a bunch of David's concubines for himself, and then um, even though that was an incredible abomination, David was like afraid for his life, but also kind of mourned and grieved his son's betrayal in a way that showed was he that still should. Abijah? Maybe. I don't remember either. It could have been either, honestly. I know one of them wanted <laughs> Abishag after David died. Yeah. Um, I don't remember anymore. Names leave me. But, but yeah. It, the, the very act of taking their father's wife was just like this incredible betrayal. Um, but, you know, then look at David himself. Mm -hmm. When we see that Uriah was probably the captain of his guard, mm -hmm. you know, when they're listed in another section. And look what he did to the man who should have trusted him more than anybody. Yeah. And yet the... What does Nathan say? The Lord has laid aside your sin. Hmm. Um, of anybody that deserved to be hung, it would be <laughs> for what he did. I I don't envy you guys because I think it's going to get worse. Hmm. I mean, I think the decisions that you're going to face. Um, I my my old pastor from my youth would be spinning literally if he knew what we what we deal with today um you you just boy you, you just have to really apply your hearts to wisdom and and care and caution we're in trouble then <laughs> any <laughs> any trying to say <laughs> i i'm really just saying that you guys are going to face things you can't even imagine at this point i would have never imagined i'd be doing a funeral for a hooker or another or a gay man i've done i've done three or four of those because the family asks me to mm -hmm. um you you just you you really are faced with decisions that in the 1950s we didn't have and and I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And people are going to look to you and say, what do we do, Pastor? Mm -hmm. And rather than saying, well, I'm, you know, I don't think you can give up. Mm -hmm. Flat out instantaneous answer. You got to do a lot of research mm -hmm. and and really listen to what's going on in their heart. I I, I don't, I, you know, when I when I decided to go to the seminary, my pastor said, well, I wouldn't want to do that if I were you. <laughs> this was my my pastor back in the 70s mm -hmm. who said, oh, I would never want to do that again. <laughs> and you, nice, nice going. Thank you for encouraging me. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but I went anyway. At the same time, I think it's not to sound too much like Dale Meyer, but it's a really exciting time to do church just because there's so little grace and mercy and gospel in the world. And people don't necessarily have words for it. They don't necessarily express it. But when you bring for like genuine forgiveness to people, that's that's incredible. And that's and, Dale Meyer's one of my favorite guys. I read so, the Meyer Minute regularly. Do you get it? Still do. Yeah. He made me sign up for it when I took his class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Dale, if you ever hear this, no, he's. He's. Uh, we're going to have him at our Emeriti conference this fall in Frankenmuth. And uh, remember, the one time that I spent with him, we imbibed a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Dale. <laughs> we had him speak at our church when I was in Grand Blanc. And uh, he did a seminar on Saturday night, and then he preached Sunday morning. He got a standing ovation. You know, one of the things that Dale Myers said that I'll never forget is, there's no such thing in the Bible as feeling guilty. The Bible has no word for feeling guilty. And his implication is either you are or you aren't. And if you're in Christ and you've received absolution from him, you are not guilty. And 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 he also said, maybe he told you guys this if you had him in a, in a sermon class, that he would flunk a guy who said, go out and tell others about Jesus. Because he said, you should make Jesus so attractive in your sermon that they'll want to do it without you telling them to. He might have softened on that one a bit. Yeah. I definitely put that in sermons. Yeah, that no, that's him. what he told us once. I can't remember the context, but I remember whether he told me that personally or in our one <laughs> rather fun night together. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was, I mean, we weren't, it was okay, <laughs> but we had a good, we had a good time. I, I really loved the man and, uh, but he was a very wise man. And this morning I read to my Bible class that I teach in Grand Blanc, the Meyer Minute about love. And that applies, I think, to, to what we're talking about. He said, you know, you love even when you don't like. And he said that being in love gets replaced by action and care and giving. And I think that that applies to your ministry where you say, you know, I don't like this guy, but I, but in Christ, he's my brother or she's my sister. And I extend the love of Christ, even when I don't like him i i said that in the sermon once here gary gary what's his name warner. warner he says what do you mean you don't like me and i i said this in the sermon i says you know i don't like all of you <laughs> and he looked at me and he said afterwards i said well it's because i don't know you but i love you because you're you're my family in christ and i think that's how we apply some of this to relationships and infidelity. I mean, we, we still love the sinner. Mm -hmm. And how do we best love the sinner? Paul is, I think, struggling with that. 
How do I love the sinner? I want the sinner to be saved. So I'm going to do what is ever necessary, as harsh as it may seem, that in the end, he'll return to Christ, turn to the Lord. I don't I'm I'm talking too much. Sorry. One of my. <laughs> That's why we brought you on. <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's that age or that age old struggle, I guess. Speak the truth in love. Where's the line? Like, where's the balance point between love and truth? So. Well, I think you made a good point that there is they're one and the same thing. In, in many ways, applying the law is is applying love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's not an unloving thing to to apply the law. Mm. There's there's a there's a book that I swear by. It's called The Other Half of Church. Uh, I think I've I've referenced it on this podcast before, and it, it was written by a theologian and a neuroscientist, kind of working together. And at the core, what the book is looking at is how do we how do we genuinely shape people's character to be more like Christ? And one of the things they bring up is that one of the most powerful ways of doing that from a neurological perspective is shame. Because if you if you're in a group of people you care a lot about and you you tell them you did something or you do something and they all look at you like you're like and they shame you a little bit over it. Uh, the neurological reality is your brain learns almost instantly not to do that thing. But they're quick to clarify. They say Christian shame is different because in society you are shamed and then you are ostracized. We say you did that thing and you are no longer welcome here. But in the church, we say you did something that you should be ashamed about. And we, we're going to tell you that, but we love you and we forgive you and you are still welcome here. In fact, you are encouraged here, but that doesn't change the reality. You should be ashamed of, of that thing. Um, and I think that's, that's that balance of, of truth and love. I'm going to tell you what you did was dumb. I still love you afterward, but I'm not going to pretend that you shouldn't have done that thing, whatever it may be. <laughs> Okay, what would you do? And I'm thinking of a situation. I had a young lady in my one of my parishes. She was she was had been a lifelong member, and then she went off to uh, a non-denominational gospel type church. Got pregnant, and could not face those people, and came back to us because she felt we would accept her. Mm -hmm. I eventually married them the couple. Mm -hmm. I didn't know whether to be angry, you know, because, oh, we're good enough for you now, that kind of thing. That was a difficult ministry issue. Mm -hmm. um, I I don't, I think we baptized the baby. I don't remember. It's been mm -hmm. 40, 50 years ago. <laughs> but what would you do? I'd say welcome back. <laughs> I, let's I think, uh let's deal with this marriage issue that's something we got to talk about but yeah welcome back well, she did i mean they they got married yeah i, I i'd say we're glad you know where the gospel is yeah i i think it's almost even more like uh 
there are so many direct parallels between that and where the church is at today, where like we've had a handful of people here at Good Shepherd. I'm sure Josh, you've probably had some people like this too, where they wander into your church doors uh, coming from more non-denominational or evangelical situations because they want grace again. They want to hear about Jesus again. Um, and if, if I were you in that situation, this is me being, you know, an idealist here a little bit, but I feel like I would have hopefully said something along the lines of, you know, welcome back. And then in the back of my head, I'm thinking, good. She recognizes where grace can be found. And again, I don't, I don't remember mm -hmm. the specifics enough mm -hmm. because it's been so long ago, but but I do remember at the time that I, I did have a, a bit of a, you know, we're, we weren't good enough for you mm -hmm. until that church, you, know, yeah. you didn't meet their standards. And Now, I wonder if our differing reaction might also be because of how much our society has shifted, that barely flags for me. <laughs> yeah it, that's it, that's it, not it, a situation if someone comes into my church like that that's not a situation that i'm like oh mm -hmm. what's this it's like no. oh that's okay let's get married that's like a, that's uh, like a, a one on a one to ten scale of the we'll call it we'll call out. it like a three like it's yeah. a but i don't especially not to play into the stereotype but out here in california some of the things that <laughs> come up on the local news and some of the things I just see around me I'm like if you if you're still going to church and your plan is to get married I'm going to count that as a win it might be a sloppy win but I'm going to count that as a win well and you know the other thing is is that um in the eyes of God once you have the relationship what's you know they become one flesh the rest and is just sorry but you know you are married in the eyes of god we're just going to make sure that we can put it on a piece of paper <laughs> we're going to get you the tax benefits that go along <laughs> <laughs> as long as they still let us do that yeah <clears throat> i had a I, I remember a situation where he didn't want to get married and they were living together and I said, "Hey," and he was he was a Catholic. And I said, "You know, you're you're already married. If you leave her, it's it's the same as a divorce in the eyes of God." And so he married her. <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether that was right or wrong, but it worked mm -hmm. because I I truly believe that once you once you consummate, that's the biblical definition. Mm -hmm. And I, I've, I, I don't know. I'm not. Yeah. I guess that's all right. Busy, but. Yeah. I, Josh, you want to move into takeaways at this point? Yeah, we can do takeaways. I think we're ready for that. Okay. So we're at the, the, the point in the show, and we actually warned Wayne ahead of time because. Because Ben is a merciful, gracious soul. No, because I actually respect him. Um, <laughs> Sorry, every other guest we've ever had. Y'all suck. This is the first he said that. 
Um, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna each pause and and take a moment here. And um, when a when a pastor writes a sermon, we try to have like one thing we want you to take away from that sermon. Um, and at the end of this now fifty five minute conversation. Uh, here is the one thing that we hope you get away or take away from this conversation, or three things that we hope you take away from this conversation. Josh, you want to go first? Yeah, I can go first. Um, this might be a hot take, but here's the takeaway I have for you is that our standards are a little different for people inside the church and people outside the church. Because if you're outside the church, you're not representing you're not representing God. You're not representing what Christianity is all about. If you're inside the church, you've become a representative. So we're going to, we're going to hold you to that definitely more closely. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Wayne. Well, I think what I'm reiterating perhaps is that what is my ultimate goal in dealing with whatever the situation might be. And whoever you are i want you to be in heaven with me and my family and your family and whoever else that might involve but my ultimate goal is your eternal life and i want you to know that so whatever i have to say to get to that point that would be i think that's what i would take from what paul said and i think mine is probably along a a similar line to, I don't know, somewhere between the two of you guys. And that is, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, there's no like easy or immediate answer that we can give. And so we have to be prepared to speak in a way that is loving and kind to the, the way you were gesturing. I thought say we have to be prepared to ask Wayne about it. Well, I mean, that's not a bad, uh, if you have access to Wayne or someone like him, <laughs> feel free You've to got ask a Wayne lying around. Hopefully somebody who's a little bit attack nonetheless. <laughs> what kind of an attack is that? <laughs> very subtle attack. Thank you. Um, anyway, uh, you have to be prepared to, to speak to the situation that you are, are finding yourself in and recognize that the way that you are speaking to somebody within the church is going to be different than someone that you're speaking to outside the church. Um, and the, like, that's why it's good to be prepared um, with knowledge of the faith that we, we live in with uh, knowledge of our scriptures um, and with knowledge of the person that you're speaking to so that you can do those things well. Um, so I guess to summarize that, there's no silver bullet. Be prepared and uh, and be loving. Be loving. I like it. So if you uh, if you're listening to this and you have a friend who who maybe struggles with kind of this this idea, any of these ideas that we've covered today, um, go ahead and share this podcast with them and uh, let them let them hear what we have to say. Maybe it'll help them. Um, hopefully it'll help them. That is our goal. And with that subtle intro, here are our shameless plugs for the day. <laughs> if you're looking for a church, uh, a church home, 
that's incredibly important being a community of people who worships God, who brings you closer to him. And if you're looking for one in the Eastvale area in Southern California, uh, please check us out. You can look at edgewaterlutheran.org and, and find out all the different ways to connect to us. And uh, if you're in the Lake Orion area, you can go check out Good Shepherd with Ben Olschlager and, uh, and Batman. <coughs> um, and, and this man preaches the gospel as well as anybody. <laughs> He flatters me too much. <laughs> no. He's, uh, don't he's worry. Not. I'll I'll insult you later to make up for it. Um, okay, good. <laughs> but uh, if you wanna if you wanna hear all of our shenanigans for all over our three seasons of existence, you can subscribe to this podcast on whatever your your platform of choice is. We're on all the good ones: Pandora, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, whatever they're calling it these days, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, um, and those subscriptions inflate our ego a little bit so we appreciate that and uh we also have a facebook page that we care very much less about but it's a great place if you're not personally connected to either of us and you want to hear us talk about something or invite someone on the show or if you'd like to be on the show you can reach out to that facebook page and we will see the message eventually probably <laughs> um I think that's it. I think that's all of our shameless plugs, unless you've got anything to add. Go to church. All right. We, go to church. We'll see you on Sunday, boys and girls. Um, with that, go in peace. Serve the Lord. You're done with us for the day. Thanks be to God.